Welcome to the Cannabis Cultivation and Science Podcast. I'm your host, Tad Hussey, Kiss Organics. This is the podcast where we discuss the cutting edge of growing from a science-based perspective and draw on top experts from around the industry to share their wisdom and knowledge. This week's topic, mycorrhizal fungi. By now, practically everyone has heard of mycorrhizal fungi. It's pretty incredible fungus that forms a symbiotic relationship with the roots of many plants. But I see a lot of misinformation and claims out there about it, and I thought it would be a good topic to dive into. After checking this out, if you want to learn more, I do have a blog post on our website at www.kisorganics.com under the Learn tab, or just type myco, M-Y-C-O, into the Search tab, scroll down, and you'll see uh, the blog post, as well as an interview I did, episode 77, with Dr. Yoram Kapolnik, who is an expert researcher on mycorrhizal fungi. I first heard about mycorrhizal fungi from my dear friend, Jeff Lowenfels. He's always been great at sharing exciting new findings in the microbial world, and his most recent book, Teeming with Bacteria, talks about rhizophagy, a much more recent discovery about how bacteria can travel into root cells by infecting the cells at the root tip meristem. Once inside the root, these bacteria lose their cell walls and essentially leak nutrients inside the plant before leaving again through the root tips, reforming their cell walls, again in the rhizosphere and cycling over and over again as a way of creating nutrient cycling for the plant. But mycorrhizal fungi wasn't a recent discovery. The relationship between fungi and plant roots was written about as early as 1885, and new research over the last century learned a lot about this amazing symbiosis. For instance, we now know that mycorrhizal fungi exist in almost all ecosystems, ranging from deserts to tropical forests. About 90% of plants have a mycorrhizal relationship, but mycorrhizal fungi have been around for over 400 million years. So Jeff is a stickler for proper terminology, and so I wanted to start there. Myco means fungus, rhizo means root. Makes sense, huh? Mycology is the study of fungi and mushrooms are the fruiting body of some fungi. Knowing that rhizo mean roots, terms like rhizosphere, the area around the roots, becomes more clear. So mycorrhizal fungi is the proper term for the specific fungi that form a symbiotic relationship with the roots of plants. Mycorrhizae is the actual association between roots and fungi. It's subtle, but there is a difference there. So if you're referring to just the fungi, then you should say mycorrhizal fungi. If you're referring to the relationship, then it's mycorrhizae. This relationship makes a ton of sense uh, from from a plant and ecology perspective. Plant roots are hospitable sites for fungi to anchor to and produce hyphae. The roots provide essential nutrients to assist in the growth of the fungi, and the fungal biomass acts as an extension or virtual root system for the plant, increasing the amount of water and nutrients the plant can obtain from the surrounding soil. It actually increases the absorbing surface area of the roots by up to 40 times what it would be without this relationship. Now, in regards to soil health, there's enhanced soil tilth, which is a reference to the physical properties of the soil and its suitability for growing plants. It also improves carbon sequestration and the transfer of water and nutrients to the plant like I already mentioned. There's good research showing that for plants that have this mutualistic relationship that you'll see numerous benefits. Typically, mycorrhizal fungi gets associated with improved phosphorus uptake, and that's certainly true. Phosphorus being key for root growth, photosynthesis, and cell division. 
but it also leads to greater nutrient uptake of other nutrients um, and much more advantageous effects. One such mineral is sulfur, which plays a key role in plant metabolism, the formation of proteins, vitamins, and amino acids, and the formation of certain volatile sulfur terpenes like the skunk smell in cannabis. Mycorrhizal symbiosis can improve photosynthesis and photosynthetic pigments, the plant's ability to combat various abiotic stressors like drought, salinity, cold temperatures, and heavy metal stress. It also plays a role in plant protection from microbial pathogens. Interestingly, something that I didn't know before I started researching this podcast was that many desert plants have a mycorrhizal relationship and would not be able to survive without it. So there's this co-evolutionary perspective that I think is really interesting from an ecology perspective. And there's many different types of mycorrhizal fungi, and it's important to distinguish the difference. I used to think that you could just go buy any mycoproduct and you'd be good to go, but it's a bit more complicated than that. There's four main types of mycorrhizal fungi that I'm familiar with. Endomycorrhizal fungi, ectomycorrhizal fungi, ericoid mycorrhizal fungi, and orchid mycorrhizal fungi. Let's skip over ericoid as it has very limited usage and there's only one commercially available product that I'm aware of. You know, it forms a symbiotic relationship with plants like blueberries, cranberries, rhododendrons, azaleas. It's less important for gardeners and cannabis growers since it does not have a relationship with those plants. Orchid mycorrhizal fungi is also pretty self-explanatory, forming a relationship with orchids, so we'll skip that one as well. Ectomycorrhizal fungi, which is a more common type of mycorrhizal fungi and found in many commercial mycorrhizal blends, mostly because it's quite easy to culture in vitro um, compared to other types. The majority of ectomycorrhizal fungi belong to classes like Basidiomycetes or Ascomycetes and form fruiting bodies like mushrooms, puffballs, and toadstools. Truffles, interestingly enough, are ectomycorrhizal, forming a relationship with specific tree roots. Typically, when I think of ectomycorrhizal fungi, I think of conifers and forests. Ectomycorrhizal fungi help provide host trees with nutrients from the soil and water in exchange for plant carbon. Ecto means outer, which is helpful to remember that ectomycorrhizal fungi sort of form a sheath around the roots, extending out into the soil. Very cool for forest restoration. And when you typically see those photos of the plant roots with all those little uh, white hyphae coming off of it, that's ectomycorrhizae. Um, endomycorrhizal fungi is the one we want to focus on as a gardener, whether you're growing cannabis or tomatoes or fruit trees. Endo means internal or within, and endomycorrhizal fungi infects within the cortical cells and grows intercellularly. In fact, ericoid and orchid mycorrhizal fungi are both endomycorrhizal fungi. However, the most commonly heard type you'll hear about is VAM, which stands for vesicular arbuscular mycorrhiza, or AM or AM, which is a shorter name that just shortens it down to arbuscular mycorrhiza. AM fungi are the most common and abundant of mycorrhizal, of endomycorrhizal fungi, and are characterized by the formation of arbuscules or hyphal coils within cortical cells. Arbuscules is just a fancy word for the shape. Uh, picture the top half of a deciduous tree with all its branches reaching out. Um, and hyphal coils are exactly what it sounds like, uh, fungal hyphae that form coils. So cortical cells or the cortex is the outer layer of the stem or root in a vascular plant like cannabis. 
right below the epidermis, but outside the vascular bundles. And lastly, our buscular mycorrhizae form mycelium that extends out into the soil. These arbusculars or hyphocoils are the main sites for nutrient exchange between the plant and the fungi. So I found this really interesting. There was research done in 2011 entitled Reciprocal Rewards Stabilize Cooperation in the Mycorrhizal Symbiosis by Kiers out of the Netherlands that looked at how this relationship works and what makes it mutualistic or symbiotic. The relationship between plants and fungi and other soil microorganisms is really complex and there's a lot of potential for exploitation of resources. I mean, realistically, each organism is looking out for their own best interests. So how do they keep this relationship fair for both parties? So it turns out that plants can detect, discriminate, and reward the best fungal partners with more carbohydrates, while the mycorrhizal fungi can enforce their end of the relationship by increasing nutrient transfer only to the host plant roots, providing the most carbohydrates. So this checks and balances system has evolved between these fungi and plant roots to allow them to co-evolve, which is really fascinating. You know, I mentioned before that ectomycorrhizal fungi can be grown in vitro in a lab, but endomycorrhizal fungi requires a plant host. This makes it much more challenging to grow, and therefore we see much lower spore counts in commercial products relative to ectomycorrhizal fungi. Well, why is this important? It's important to understand because it's not as simple as just buying a product because it contains mycorrhizal fungi. You have to make sure you're buying the right type of mycorrhizal fungi for your plant and in high enough concentrations to actually get mycorrhizal infection. Many fertilizer or soil companies will add just a tiny amount of mycorrhizal fungi to their product just to get it on the label, but not enough to make any difference in regards to actual infection in a reasonable time frame for your plants. Endomycorrhizal fungi will also vary based on the species of fungi. The most common is Glomus interoratices, also known as Rhizophagus irregularis. And bear with me with all my pronunciations. I'm, I'm going to do my best, but they're, they're probably not all going to be perfect. So I'm going to apologize for that in advance. Uh, you'll also see Glomus mossiae, uh, Glomus aggregatum, uh, Glomus deserticola, and many more. And to further complicate matters, depending on where you source the fungi, you'll end up with a different strain of the same species of Rhizophagus irregularis, for example. Dr. Joram Kapolnik from the Volcani Institute, who is a soil scientist that specializes in rhizosphere interactions, talks about how the product Dynomyco was created by isolating a native strain in Israel that was quite resilient and more effective at greater pH ranges. Some of the strains will be more effective or resistant to drought or flooding or temperature ranges. So you can't assume that you'll get the same results just because the name of the mycorrhizal species is the same on two different containers. That being said, there's very few companies that actually are able to commercially produce and sell endomycorrhizal fungi. So most of the supply in North America is coming from a few suppliers and everyone is just repacking it. What is some of the research though on mycorrhizal fungi in relation to cannabis? The research is pretty mixed, but I wanted to highlight some papers that I found interesting. In 2022, a paper entitled Enhancement of Growth and Cannabinoids Content of Hemp Cannabis Sativa Using Arbuscular Mycorrhizal Fungi by Wasan 
Simakram out of Thailand looked at the effects of applying two different species of arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi, Rhizophagus prolifer and Rhizophagus aggregatus, and compared it to a non-mycorrhizal control in plants that received a synthetic fertilizer. After 60 days, mycorrhizal plants outperformed non-mycorrhizal plants in stem height, stem diameter, stem dry weight, number of branches, and number of flowers. Plants inoculated with Rhizophagus prolifer did not perform as well as those inoculated with Rhizophagus aggregatus. Concentrations of CBD and THC were also highest in plants inoculated with Rhizophagus aggregatus, with, while those that were inoculated with Rhizophagus prolifer and the synthetic fertilizer variants only had intermediate concentrations of THC and CBD. In another paper from 2021 entitled Effect of Rhizophagus Irregularis on Growth and Quality of Cannabis Sativa Seedlings that was produced by the Laboratory of Agronomy, Department of Crop Science, Agricultural University of Athens, measured nitrogen and phosphorus content, root and stem length and weight, and survival rate. What they found was that the biomass of the seedlings roots, the fresh weight, and the nitrogen content were not affected by the mycorrhizal colonization. However, root length, stem dry weight, survival rate, and phosphorus content were significantly increased by 5%, 24.3%, and 12.4% respectively. And this was using treatments with rates of 40, 80, and 120 fungal spores per liter of nutrient solution of Rhizophagus irregularis, so fairly high rates, certainly much higher than you would see in any soil or fertilizer with it on the label. So, in the second half of this podcast, I want to dive into the practical and actionable questions regarding mycorrhizal fungi, such as the best way to apply mycorrhizal fungi or incorporate it into your grow. Do you need to apply it every cycle if you're using, reusing your media? Uh, what role does mycorrhizal fungi play in heavy metal uptake? How long does it really take for infection? And finally, my opinion on whether or not you should be using mycorrhizal fungi in your grow based on the research I've seen. The full podcast, as well as the transcript of this podcast and links to the research will be available on our Patreon account, which you can sign up for a free trial for seven days and have access to the content for as little as $5 a month. That was my second AMA podcast. This one focused on mycorrhizal fungi, and you are listening to the Cannabis Cultivation and Science Podcast. I'm your host, Tad Hussey. If you like the podcast, please leave us a rating and review and give us a follow on Instagram. You can also sign up for our newsletter on our website homepage to stay up to date on the latest research and information. Thanks for listening. All right.